Welcome to the Listics AFL podcast, where we analyze AFL list building, free agency, trade, and the draft. We're also working to help everyone achieve their best possible mental health, and we'd like to acknowledge our podcast partners, Beyond Blue. If you're feeling low, anxious, or you need to talk to someone, please contact the team at Beyond Blue. You can call them anytime on 1300 22 46 36, or visit them at the website at www.beyondblue.org.au. Now, without further ado, I'm John Van Norden. And I'm Sean Lewis, and it's Listics Podcast time. We are back. We're back on, and it's a week in football. Um, I, uh, Sean, I'm glad to be here with you, mate. Um, we're actually going to be trialing out a, a slightly new podcast format for, for the listeners, um, and it's got you excited. You were dancing in your chair. Absolutely, mate. Why wouldn't you be dancing? It's uh... shimmying. It's what is it? It's Tuesday night. Um, first round of football's back. We've had more COVID restrictions released on us. Like it's just everything's happening, mate. Like it's just a good week. Um, we're obviously just past the first week of football coming back, and then we've been told now we're going to have more people at football next week. You know, so I think it's um, it's Carlton Collingwood on on Thursday night. You know, I'd be hoping for. Uh, 60,000 60, fans there at the G. That'll be ripping just to hear a, a good roar at, or at a, um, in that kind of rivalry match. Um, I'm fairly certain that the um, the change to restrictions comes in on Friday. Oh, you're kidding. I didn't, no. I thought, it was, I thought they said it was in time for round two, which is Thursday night. Yeah, I, I think that it's not in time for that game. Right. Um, I'm probably... I apologize, listeners. I'm, I'm going to confirm this because... I... Yeah, I what I what I read was that it was from Friday, um, but they may have made a, a special allowance for the AFL, so um, we can confirm that one. I mean, the only difference that I was hinting at at the start of the podcast um, between this podcast and our regular content is that the podcast is going to be called um, A Week in Football, um, and it's a listics podcast, so it'll still be part of our regular series, but it's not going to be a deep dive podcast like most of our content is, where we're reviewing um, issues in detail. Um, an example of deep dive content that we would have covered last year is relocation um, or expansion, where we did an hour, hour and a half episode actually reviewing all of the locations that you could expand to. Yep. Um, so diving really deep into those issues rather than just covering them as a um, should North Melbourne move to Tasmania news article. Um, but a... A week in football is supposed to just be about um, the things that we've noticed and the things that we're looking forward to in the week ahead. Um, and they will be a little bit shorter than our regular content as well. Maybe not this one because it's the first one and we're we're testing out the format, but that's the intention longer term. Yeah. And just confirming, it is 75,000 on Thursday night. I have, wow. according to the website here, cool. 75,000 will be able to attend Thursday night's Carlton Collingwood Blockbuster. At the MCG, okay. So. And is that from is that the AFL website or is that the um well, it's the, the AFL Dan website, press which is to the ticket te- website, which is selling the tickets? I yeah, they're just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, look, it, it it's um yeah. What isn't there to be happy about at the moment? Mate? There's, a, there's a, a lot of good things happening, and uh, unfortunately, though, um, at the moment, there is parts of our country that are that are suffering um, from some pretty severe flooding. So our thoughts are definitely out there with the people affected in New South Wales predominantly, but also parts of Queensland and 
potentially parts of Victoria um, over the next few days as well. So, um, you know, we hope everyone's keeping safe. I do have a couple of friends up on the on the, um, the central coast there in New South Wales who have been evacuated. So um, oh, wow. certainly not good, um, but we're hoping for the best and hoping that, um, you know, everyone's property um, is safe and if it, or everyone is safe and then next your property is safe and if it isn't, as long as you're okay, it's okay. We can, you know, it's a bit like the bushfires. Um, as a nation, we can pull together and, and move on. But yeah, it's certainly a bit scary for a lot of people up there. Um, and with that, mate, uh, we can try and keep our mental health minutes brief, I think, for this one. So, yeah, so I was thinking about this on the drive home today um, that for our uh, a week in football podcast, we can do a mental health moment rather than a mental health minute. And mental health minutes go somewhere between five and ten minutes. So <laughs> a mental health moment can probably more just be a um, a single point reflection. Um, so something to be happy for or um, something interesting that you found this week. Um, probably something interesting that I found this week um, was uh, just the impact that sleep um, had on my personal disposition um, and as well as my feeling of um, selfishness as a person. Um, and it's not something that I I really want to be. It's something that I actively want to avoid being as a selfish person. But I didn't get a great night's sleep um, on uh, Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, neither did the wife. And um, both of us sort of woke up, I think, pretty frustrated at the other and um, just frustrated at life in general. Um, everything seemed a little bit harder. And it, it, I did have a couple of times where through my head was going, ah, oh, this is not fair and all this sort of stuff. And I think that after a little while, I just was able to go get some fresh air and get out of my head um, and realize that I'm, in, I'm a human being. So I'm in full control of uh, myself, even though you have emotions and thoughts and everything and they're all okay. Um, but ultimately, my behavior today shouldn't be dictated by something as silly as a bad night's sleep. So I, um, yeah, I just decided to be better. Um, so that was my interesting thought for the week. How about you, Sean? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's a good one. Um, I have a long running uh, fun history with sleep, um, which we're actually discussing today with some friends, but I'll, I'll del- delve into that in another podcast. Probably. Good reflection. Um, I think I've mentioned before, like at the moment, we're renovating a house. We've had a few delays, which has pushed out the timeline. Anyone who's done renovations will be uh, probably very aware of when things uh, start to slide. Um, and I mean, it's kind of funny because as a, as a job, I manage projects um, for the company I work for. And, um, you know, just managing a small little renovation, I, you know, did all everything carefully, planned it all out and put all the orders in and, you know, basically supplies have fallen through and, and, you know, I found myself getting, uh, well, last week getting pretty frustrated. And, um, you know, in those moments you, you kind of want to lash out and you want to take it out on people. Um, but I guess probably something in my career at work I've seen and is that when people do that, you know, you just, you, it's, it's a reflection on you. It's not really a reflection on, on the person, um, yes, people have failed to live up to the expectations or promises or anything, but I guess it, it's just understanding the inherent good in people. People don't set out to fail you. People don't set out to, um, 
I guess, not deliver what they've promised. Um, and so I guess, you know, there's always room for, for tough conversations and, and there's always room for, you know, I mean, expressing your frustrations and stuff, but there's no reason to divert to anger and there's no reason to, to you know, yell at people and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, um, dealing with uh, the guy I was dealing with and, you know, um, you know, I just tried to be understanding of the position he was in. He was being told stuff and he was just relaying the message at the end of the day and um, rather than, you know, getting angry at him and, you know, which I'm sure he cops a few times a day because, you know, when he was calling me, he was, you know, pretty disheartened at, you know, um, letting me down effectively, um, not being able to deliver what he said he could deliver. And, um, you know, I just found it, you know, much more constructive to say, okay, that's, that's all right, mate. Let's, you know, let's move on. Like, when can we get this and what can we do about it? Is there an alternative or let's work through the problem rather than, you know, why haven't you given me this and you promised me this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just that, I guess, consideration, you know, your, your day might be bad, but that other person's might be worse. And there's no reason to compound um, your issues on someone else. I mean, we all love event. That's what your friends are for. Yeah. No reason to dump it on, on someone else who, who may be having a terrible day themselves. So, you know, um, I guess that was probably yeah. my mental health moment reflection and behavior taking off what yours was. Yeah. I mean, you and I, it's funny because we talk often about sharing when it comes to mental health. Uh, and I knew your frustrations about that stuff and you knew my frustrations about sleep because um, we share this kind of stuff with one another all the time. Um, so it does really help to um, set up a type of relationship like that with your friends where you can talk about things. I even had to reinforce to Sean today, not that I need to, he knows that I'm here, um, but that if he wants to vent and feel like he, he can completely vent um, in a no ju- in a judgment-free environment, then he can come to me at any time because I, I'm all ears when it comes to that kind of stuff. And um I know that I've got the same in you, Shawnee. So let's before we start crying and um, trying to hug the screen, um, let's let's move into a week in football. So, I mean, it was a it's a great great to see round one kicking off. Um, I'd probably say uh, my reflection from round one kicking off, and it was probably most people's reflection, is that um, Dusty's well, if he hadn't already well and truly established himself as one of the greats, um, he started this season looking like, okay, then he's he's well and truly in that ilk. Yeah, that was scary, wasn't it? <laughs> he looked very good. Yeah, He, he looked awesome. Um, look, I think um, with other sides, we'll delve into the rule changes and stuff. I think, I think the rule changes um, definitely work with a, um, a game style like Richmond's where it's, it's predicated on, on – um, I guess Richmond aren't an overly massively strong contested team um, in the middle. Uh, defensive work rate and rebound. So, you know, watching guys like Basher Hooley, who obviously wasn't playing, but Jaden Short and these sorts of guys come out of the back line with speed. Um, and then you got to see some just absolute individual brilliance from Dusty. Um, you know, when the game was yep. there to be won, he decided it was his to win and, um, you know, it's it's pretty special that we get to watch. I think that's that's probably we're, we're in an era of football where we're very lucky. We've got to see, you know, um, Gary Ablett, Buddy, um, 
you know, tail end of Chris Judd over the last 10 years. Um, and, and I certainly think that we will talk about the last kind of four years of Dusty or five years of Dusty as, and potentially even in the coming years as well as just being, you know, some of the most dominant football we've seen um, since Gary Ablett, you know, um, at Geelong before he went to the Gold Coast. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're starting to, you know, head with him. Yeah, his, his CV's gotten long enough now, um, yeah. where it's it's not a it's not a once off or it's not a just finals. It's a sustained performance um, over a very long period of time. Well, three, sort of for, three norms. I feel like, is it? Yeah, three norms, three grand finals, three norms, three premierships, three norms, Smiths. And, and I think um, there's really so, only one of those where you could argue he was first one, Basha Hooley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next two, the were, next two the, was he was. Yeah, he was far and away the best player. Um, and yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's it's awesome being able to see one of the best of the generation. I do think it's interesting that we often say, um, you know, you shouldn't judge the career of a player. Um, we've got a lot of great players who haven't got premierships, um, got Brownlow medals, or maybe some that don't even have Brownlow medals, but um, have got a, have got a lot of, Great, excellent games on the boards. Yeah, Selwood and um, Selwood's got premierships in the cabinets, and Penderbury does too. But neither of them have a Brownlow. Um, Dangerfield's got some Brownlows, but no premierships. And you've always got players like that. You sort of say, you know, you shouldn't judge them by whether they were in a grand final winning team, um, because that's always hard. But it does it does slip into to your mind when you when you sort of think back about the greatest, and all of them were able to. Not just not just in grand finals, but consistently in big moments where the game was on the line, be able to step up and make a key play. Um, and just one of the funny things that I find is that it's typically players that are able to do it when they can bring others into the game or elevate others around them. So Dusty is the biggest one for me at that, who is so fantastic at sharing the ball at the right time, just putting a teammate into space with a beautiful kick um, or awesome body work um, and it, it opens up the game for him rather than him just trying to do it all by himself which I think that a couple of other players who have been star power um, have star power and star presence just don't have that same awareness to go someone else is in a better spot and I can get the ball to them yeah and I think I think often like we, we talk about the style of player like Dusty and you know, obviously, Petraka gets mentioned there, and I think that was the evol- exactly what you're saying there is the evolution of his game last year that we all witnessed. Not only was it more midfield time, but it was also the the knowing when to be selfish and when to be a teammate. Like his yeah. individual brilliance is is amazing, um, but there's the right time to be a teammate and to share the ball and use your size and strength and body positioning for the betterment of the other players and you're right dusty does that and i mean look i'll put my hand up and say like there were times where i've questioned him and and that sort of thing and and you know he's hands down proved a lot of people including myself wrong time and time again so full credit to dusty full credit to richmond they look good again um Koch to come back in um a couple of injuries and stuff but yeah um I don't know. We won't go through game by game, but I guess we'll just pick out some games where we saw some good stuff. Um, I thought the doggies um, looked threatening without actually stamping their authority. 
Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's like a, I mean, it's an interesting, it's going to be a topic for people to follow throughout the year as well. Is that, is this dog's midfield um, a weapon? Like, is it a real weapon that's going to tear teams apart? I think they beat Collingwood by 16. I didn't think it was a very strong Collingwood outfit either. Um, and, and, and realistically, you're talking, uh, what is that? 18 scoring shots to 19. So they only they only had one more scoring shot than Collingwood. Yeah, and they smacked them on inside 50s, yeah. um, absolutely demolished them. But it, it sh- sort of shows you've got all of these midfielders but they're not kicking it to they're kicking it to Collingwood's defenders. They weren't kicking it to um yeah. to a, a full an effective forward line. Um and even the guys that go forward, like Bont was probably the most dangerous when he went forward. But I'm not really worried about Trelaw as a forward. I'm not worried about Dunkley as a forward. I'm not worried about McRae as a forward. Bailey Smith he's sort of damaging as a forward, but most of his goals were out the back. Um, run, running into 50 rather than presenting as a target. So it's still going to be a big question for them is how do they even, if they get a dominance around the ball, turn that into scoring power? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it was funny because, you know, you looked at Twitter and there was a lot of comments around, you know, like obviously they got the win, which is what they need to do. And sometimes you do need to win ugly in football. I think the thing you know, that came up was that they were so dominant and just couldn't convert it. And I mean, I know you and I have a very firm opinion on Aaron Norton's best position, but I thought there were like, he still kicked a few goals and he did what he needed to do. And Aaron Norton is a super player and will be a good player no matter where you put him on the ground. Yeah. Um, But there were a few times where I watched Norton and the way he leads and everything, he's not a natural forward. And, and he leads into these awkward spaces that, you know, they've got some good smalls or the follow-up midfielders and stuff that come through to look at the ground balls. Um, he's in awkward spots where they can't quite get to. So it becomes he marks it or it gets taken away from them. Um, yeah. And then the other risk is that, that he also kind of leads into space of the other forwards. So I think there was quite a few times where you'd often see him and Josh Bruce leading to the same spot at different angles. Yep. Um, and you know, if you if you're leading to the same space, but you you know you end up kind of five eight meters apart, that's okay because that's you've got a dummy and a and a leap. Yeah. But there was a couple of times where they literally led to the same spot, and I was just like, you know, that's that's where forward craft. That's what they talk about in coaching. That's what forward craft is: learning leading patterns. So, you know, are you running the triangle? Are you pushing out? Are you the backup leader? Are you the dummy? Are you you know this sort of thing? Um, and I think Norton's quite playing off instinct. So yeah. I do wonder if the dogs would be better served playing him back when, say, Jamara is ready or if Josh Shackey finds some form. Um, I guess that's probably some questions for them. Certainly the dominance of their midfield, they you know they spanked the clearances, 460-odd disposals, which is insane. Um, so I don't think there's any issues about them getting the ball. It's converting on the scoreboard, which, look, it's an issue for a lot of teams. But, but you know, the dogs have the right list profile and age profile and money profile at the moment to be contending for the top four. Yep. So. You know, I agree. I agree with that. It's going to be, um, 
it's all going to be about how they can manage to turn it into volume um, volume goals. Yeah, and it's funny talking about Collingwood as well. Um, I definitely see scoring to be an issue for them this year. They're going to be relying on, you know, um, Sidebottom when he comes back this week to hit the scoreboard from the middle. They're going to be relying on, you know, a lot of um, a very interesting forward setup, I would say. And um, potentially arresting Brody Grundy if they bring in guard uh, Cameron, Darcy Cameron. Um, that might enable Grundy to rest forward, which Grundy Myacek is a little bit more threatening than than Cox and Myacek or Cameron and Myacek. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I I mean, I don't necessarily rate Grundy as a forward. He like he, I think Grundy's greatest strength is his uh, work weight around the contest and his ability to appear as an additional defensive midfielder at a stoppage. Um, whereas Gorn, his marking is his strength, um, like hit outs to advantage and marking. So he makes more sense as a natural type of forward um, than Grundy does. But it would be interesting to see how that all um, that all pieces together. Forward lines are always something that I find it delicate and hard to structure. And you can sort of see why a team like Richmond, a team like Geelong have performed well over a long period of time when they've got a staple full forward. Um, yep. So Hawkins at Hawkins at the Cats, um, they haven't found a partner for him in a long time, but it looks like Jeremy Cameron when he's on the park will be that. Yep. Um, and Rewalt, um Lynch at the Tigers, they don't have to be the best player every week, but they kick reasonably straight and they get to good positions and they make good leading patterns. Yep, absolutely. Um, Big one for me actually uh, for the week, just before we launch into what um, the one you were going to say oh. is um, is danger probably. Um, danger being in well, danger. I was go- I was gonna say, do we want to talk about the Saturday football games? Because there was a few. There was I think Saturday was probably a pretty good day of football for upsets and close contests and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, look, like, yeah, danger. Um, uh, they say, you know, everyone's been saying, you know, you elect a bump, you run the risk, and and look, like, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, how do I put this? As soon as, as soon as I saw the footage, he was gone. Um, there, was, there was no way he wasn't going to be suspended for multiple weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think I think even he accepted that in his arguments at the um, at the tribunal. Like it sounds like he he accepted that it was either high impact or severe impact, and he was arguing for high, which I think would have drawn a two week suspension. Um, and it was it was rejected and kept the grading of severe, which is a three. A three-week suspension. Look, I think um, people have been saying it's an attack on the bump or it's banning the bump, and I, I just completely disagree. Um, you have a look at when Danger bumped um, Kelly and and the situation he was in, and is the way he bumped him is that an appropriate bump? It's absolutely not. Like. His yeah. intention wasn't to knock him out. It wasn't to break his nose. No one is sitting here saying that Danger is a dirty player and that's what he was intending to do. However, his intention was to floor Kelly and put him on his ass. Yep. That's what he wanted to do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Knock the wind out of him. Yep. yep. Just just make him think twice about next time Danger's coming at him. You know, you're going to see me and you're going to panic. It, it, it's a mental side. Now, the thing was is that Danger did a lot of things right. He lowered his body... He, he tried to do the right things, but he hit him, you know, on the side towards the front. And yeah. and no matter what you think, like if you hit someone there, the whiplash is going to bring their head forward. And that's what yeah. happened. And 
So it's the difference between actually hitting someone on the side versus hitting someone just a little bit in the front. Yep. Um, cause your neck muscles side to side don't move as far as forward to back, um, in general. And you're less likely to cop that sideways hit if you hit him directly in the shoulder. I thought the bump like itself, if the, without the head contact is, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe fine. a fine for rough. Yeah. Conduct. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I just thought like, I thought it was, um, all of the arguments when there's lawyers talking about this kind of stuff, I think are stupid because they were sort of saying like Geelong's lawyers were saying, you know, um, the bump was body to body. This was an accidental head clash, which caused this. Um, and the other lawyer was sort of saying, well, you're comparing people that have hit shoulder to head um, and trying to say how there's less intent or better technique, but shoulder would actually be softer than skull to skull. And I was listening to this argument. I was like, this is insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Are we are we honestly arguing that if someone lines somebody up and hits them with their shoulder in the head, that we're like obviously like what you were trying to say that that's less? Im- I, I didn't I didn't understand any of the like the, I know it's all just legalese trying to form a that's what they were trying to do was undermine the word severe, um and, and say that severe was worse than it was and they were building a case around broken noses being a regular thing in football and noses always break and. All this sort of stuff. It's stupid argument again because we're trying to protect the head, not allow the nose to break. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't think the bump is dead. I thought the technique was average. I think this often with footballers is that the intent is often to hurt the opposition, not in the head, but the intent is definitely to hurt them. Um, And there are so many other things that you could do. And Fife has been guilty of this in the past. But most times, and I say this because I watched him on the weekends and a lot in the preseason, most times in that situation, five would have dived on the opponent's boot yep. and smothered him. Um, he's exceptional at in that situation. He's out of position. His intention would be like a danger knew that Kelly was going to release the ball either at the same time as contact or just after I mean, just before the contact, he was going to release the ball. So he wasn't thinking this guy could dummy me and go past me and I might be able to tackle. He was intending to bump him at or after the point of release, in which case he could have smothered him because the person had committed to a kick. I mean, look, I, I, it, yeah. it comes back to, I don't, look, I can draw everything back to your old coaching. It, it comes back to the philosophy of make him earn it. Like, that's what it is. Like, yeah. Uh, on a football field where they're coaching or, or playing or anything, I can remember, you know, situations like that happening every week where, you know, you, you're just that, you know, half step late, but you just absolutely flatten someone. And it just comes, there's a voice inside you that's saying, you know, it's your old under 12s coach. You got to make him earn it. And, um, and that's kind of where it comes from. And, yeah, like I, I just laugh. Like I mean, I read the like you the legalese that they're having and arguing over the definitions and stuff, and they were talking about bringing Siri into it, and I was just like, "Come on, guys!" Like, yeah, at, asking Siri for the definition of severe. Like, I know. At the end of the day, like, effectively, what they're trying to do is un- not only undermine the the grading of severe, but they're also trying to make the point that he had no malice in it. But I don't think uh, this this whole thing about intent and malice and all that, it's not allowed for in the tribunal rules. And look, I, yeah. whether I agree with it or not, 
Like I, I'm a firm believer is that, you know, intent plays a huge part of it. Like you've got to, yep. you, you know, if someone intends to hit someone and misses an attempted striking charge, they should be dealt with as if they've hit them. Yeah, you're right. People that swing a punch yeah. and just and just miss um, should be should be charged hard, harder or at least as hard. And that's and they do they have a little bit of it in the careless or intentional grading, but they don't yeah. have it built into the system. But they were arguing it, and I was just like, it's not in the system. So yeah. it's not in the system. Why are we arguing it? Like at the end of the day, yeah. no one's sitting here saying danger's dirty. Danger did this to kill the bloke and whatever. But he didn't. So I don't know why they're arguing about it. But anyway, yeah. I mean, I think that you and I pretty generally aligned with uh, like the approach that the AFL should be taking to ruling, yep. which is that the um, establishing intent um, to establishing intent to hurt is an important thing, yep. um, rather than excluding it entirely. So the gaff incident is one that easily comes to mind for most people. Throw the rule book at someone who throws a punch at someone's head, and like the the damage that that is caused, like in that case, it was a broken jaw. Yeah. But even if it wasn't, even if it was just a, a swollen and bruised lip and face um, and he could have played the next week, doesn't matter. Chuck eight weeks at him. Just you don't punch someone else in the face. That's But, but, but even, but, but then like here comes the debt, like here comes the split. Like we, like we've both said danger intended to put Kelly down on his butt. Yeah. Put him down, make him think about it. Like that's what the intent of the bump is. He wasn't totally. going there to protect himself. I don't no. care what he said. I mean, no, he wasn't. He, he, otherwise, there's a bit like someone saying, I generally don't intend to protect myself by running at somebody full pace in the opposite direction and jumping at them. Like, that's not how I protect. I protect myself in other ways. And you're right. He was fully intending to hurt him. Um, Maybe I would. Which... Yeah. Like, and I guess it's the scale of hurt. Like, he's probably done that, you know, a hundred times and he's never hurt someone like this. He's yep. probably winded a few blokes, sent him to the bench, and that's what he was after. So yep. the intent was there in terms of the action that he was undertaking was intended to to rattle someone. Whether it wasn't yep. intended to, you know, rule Kelly out for the next four weeks or whatever it'll probably be. So Yeah. I don't think so I, I don't think we're saying he's dirty. I think it's the right result. I think, you know, yeah. three or four weeks would have been either one would have been fair to me because I felt that They've got to stamp it out. So, yeah, I, I like the difference. Um, I think that if they can include more um, penalties for things that the intention is to injure someone, but with like a with more deliberate acts, like a punch, um, any hits to the back of the head, um, all that kind of stuff, rule that out harder. So when they, it, it accidentally it doesn't land and the person's fine, stamp those ones out, and, and with these ones. If the bump is poorly executed, then I like the onus being on the person that opts to bump. Yeah. Um. Like, as in, you took the res- you take the responsibility for for the result. Um, yeah. And and before beating up on danger, credit to him for standing up there tonight and saying, you know, that he you know he didn't contest that he he elected to bump. He understood that the onus was on him. So I think we have yep. to at least give credit that you know he hasn't gone up there and tried to argue that it was. It was Kelly's fault, or it was yeah. Like it, he hasn't tried to lie or, or anything like that. He's taken responsibility for it, so yeah. Yeah, I think it's fair enough as well. Yeah, it's probably enough on danger. <laughs> um, talking about the other games, um, probably a great one was the Adelaide um, Geelong game. I mean, yeah, upsets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, 
Look, Adelaide just played great, scrappy football. They just pressure, pressure, pressure. They kept going and going and going. And um, and I guess at the end of it, they were in front. Um, I mean, the Cats, there was probably a, a point with about seven minutes to go where the Cats, I think it was Isaac Smith, took a mark, about 45 out. I mean, Isaac Smith dobs that, and I think they're back within a kick. And, um, and I, I actually think Geelong probably win the game from there. Yep. But he, he scruffed his kick. Um, it hit, well, I'm going to say, Billy Frampton on the chest. I might be wrong. And Adelaide took it up the other end and, you know, the next play they scored and then that was the belief they needed. So it was one of those, you know, we talk about, you know, game shifting momentum and moments, you know, picking out moments from a game. That moment with, I think it was about seven minutes to go, that was a huge moment. Um, and, and it was pretty much when Geelong probably lost the game and, and Adelaide won it. And I thought, you know, full credit to a young side, full credit to the way they played, Um it wasn't pretty at all times, but it was it was effective. Um, I think we said yeah. the same about Richmond a few years ago. So, uh, you know, it's it's a good style of game plan for what they have. Yep, I agree. I think that most of the sides that I was happy with this weekend um, systematically outworked their opposition, um, and outworked can be a number of things. Sometimes it's um, in the dog's case, the outworking was the ability to retain and constantly switch possession around. That that just overtired the opposition in Collingwood all game. Um, in the Adelaide game, it was applying relentless pressure at all opportunities and then running and getting the ball out the back and the sides, which they did really well, which stretched Geelong's structure long and didn't allow it to contract quickly enough. Yep. Um, which they can typically do in a narrower ground like their own. Yep. Um, and for some of the other teams, it was just about um, executing a, a strategy well enough for long enough. Um, and I think that that's what you saw probably some of the stronger teams do obviously better, like your, um, your Richmond's um, Melbourne versus the Demons. It wasn't the prettiest game. Melbourne versus but- the Dockers. Melbourne versus the Dockers, sorry. <laughs> like, I mean, that wasn't the prettiest game. Um, it was our first game of football together in a long while. Um, and supporting my first game, supporting the doctor, uh, the Doctors. <laughs> Jeez, um, mate, it's, <laughs> it's Melbourne versus the Demon versus the Doctors. Um, well, there is there the, probably there a is lot the, of doc- There is the Fremantle Doctor, so you're yeah. Not well, I mean, that the, and there's also a lot of um, a lot of the crowd would probably be Doctors, um, given given the Melbourne crowd. Um, but what I was trying to say, uh, was that in that game, I don't think that either team played particularly well, but I thought that Melbourne executed what looked to be their game plan much better than what Fremantle did for longer periods of the game. Um, and that for me was the difference that there was probably a skill difference as well between Melbourne and Fremantle, but in the end of the day, every time I saw Melbourne executing on their game plan, Laurent, like going inside um, inside at the 50 and then outside to a short leading target um, was really effective all game. And yeah. yeah, it's something I'm looking forward to seeing which teams can keep it up. Yeah, I think, you know, we're sitting there and watching it, it was fantastic. Um, had a lot of good chats about football strategy and stuff. And I think probably the thing, like everyone's right to be bullish on the Dockers' future. I just don't think it's it's this 
year, like where they're going to make that step into the next yeah. group. I think they probably need a couple of their, <clears throat> their recent draftees over the last two years and stuff to start stepping up. They're, um, I mean, Hayden Young will take a step this year, providing he doesn't get injured. Um, you know, they'll be looking to welcome back Sam, Sam Sturt. Um, Caleb Sarong, you know, has a second year now. Now he's, you know, got to really entrench himself into that midfield. Um, and, and obviously Liam Henry, um, I mean, he did some really nice stuff. And, and I think I said to you at one point, there was a play where he got beaten by Nev Jetta. And yep. I, I think I said to John, in, in three years' time, he doesn't ever get beaten at that. And, yep. and it wasn't that Henry got the positioning wrong or got anything like that wrong. He just wasn't strong enough. Nev Jetta's yep. 32, lots of years of football, probably has a couple of kilos on him and just moved him out of the way. Um, yep. And in a couple of years' time, when he's got his AFL body, he won't get moved. So there's a lot of good signs there for Freo. I thought, thought I, I like the way they play their football. They really do. They're not... They don't suffocate, even though the game wasn't particularly high scoring. Neither side could kick straight as well, which was... I mean, it's typical for the Demons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought the Freo game style was nice. And look, I was very impressed with Melbourne. Um, I thought the way they tried to lower their eyes into the 50... The, the way they moved the ball off the half-back line. Lever and May were exceptional for us. Um, and and I just felt that it looks like there's been a significant shift in the game plan and the, and the voice, obviously getting some new voices around Goodwin this year ha- has led to some changes and it looked like we had more than one game plan. I mean, we got spanked out of the middle by Frio in the first quarter. And to be honest, for the, most of the rest of the game, it was pretty break-even. Um, yep. It's not like we ever really fully gained the ascendancy. We had a few good moments that we took over, um, but never really fully gained the ascendancy. And I thought the fact that we won without smashing people in the clearances was a real sign of maturity for the side. So some positives there. Um, Essen and Hawthorne. Um, uh, I mean, just, just, just on it before we move on, um, because... Um, like there, there are some games that like they're they're close and everything, but I mean it was they were, they were pretty much what I expected. Um, I'd say that Essendon Hawthorne was what I expected. Yeah. Um, a lot of people singing like Hawthorne's praises, saying, "Oh, you know, came back from a big margin, and um, they think that they can play finals." Essendon have lost a lot of key players in the last off season, and they weren't a top finals contender anyway. Um, so it probably two teams sitting around the bottom eight um, uh, mark. Probably bottom four. Probably lower, um, but I was being kind. Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean, I, it's not to say that I don't think either team can compete at a higher level. It's just that I don't think that's where they're at right now yeah. um, or they need to be for their own development. One of the things that I noticed probably the most from the Melbourne Fremantle game and this sort of set a bit of my thinking towards the rest of the competition was just looking at the team sheet and thinking about and I used to think about this quite a lot when um, I was supporting Collingwood and watching their team when they would make grand finals is who are the opposition worried about when, when they play. Um, And I I sort of looked through Melbourne's list and I thought there's actually quite a lot of players like Lever and May are two players who obviously dominated on the weekend, but they're players that you plan for. Um, They're not just players that you go out and play against. Langdon's running on the wing, Petrarca's ball use through the middle, Cozzy Pickett's just dynamism and explosiveness, um, and Gorn obviously is a is a pillar. But when I was looking at the Frio forward line and I was seeing Schultz 
um, Collier, Hughes, Switowski, Pierce, and Tabner. I was like, teams aren't preparing to play Frio. Like they they're just turning up with their game plan, going we we can probably win just playing our game plan. Yeah. Um, and I, I like it made me think about the free not the free handle the Carlton Richmond game on Friday night. Richmond have that. They have players that you turn up to play against. You have to line up and you have to think about how you're going to play Dusty. You have to think about how you're going to play Grimes and Vloston. You have to think about Tom Lynch. Who's going to match up on Tom Lynch? How are we going to play Jaden Short? Can we restrict his ball use out of the back line? And then Basha Hawley to come back in. And then, yeah. Yeah, It's it's the same with every side. There's... It's not not the same with every side. I, I don't agree. I think that there are players. Sorry, I think there are players in every side yeah. who you plan for, but there are certain players that make a side look dangerous. And we like Fremantle didn't have any of those um, sitting for forward. Well, yeah, except for I mean, a forward fifty. Um, Fremantle didn't have any of those, and a lot of the sides that I thought caused damage, even sides that were less experienced, like the Swans had players that could cause havoc forward of centre, like Heaney, who you have to plan for. Um, Parker. Yeah, Parker's, a, Parker's another great player because he's not just a standard midfielder. Like He can go forward and, and line up at full forward and kick bags. Are you going to tag Jake Lloyd or just let him gather possessions? Goulden might be someone that people plan for in future. But, I mean, he, he's an example of um, what I'm talking about is that there are certain players who have some level of scariness to them that you never want to line up against and yeah Fremantle didn't have a lot of those and I'm going to be interested to see whether it's something I watched throughout the year as a Fremantle supporter looking at lining up against other teams and going but but even uh, even looking at a full side at Fremantle and no offense but Roy Lobb doesn't make me no, I'm not scared I'm, about Roy Lobb. I'm, I'm backing Stephen May every day of the week against Roy yep. Lobb so I mean, it, it's it's probably the area of deficiency for Fremantle into the future is, and I think they've got a really exciting young backman in Chapman, um, yep, who potentially can come in and and you know if if Alex Pierce can ever get his body right, you know that's your that's your pillars. Um, Joel yep. Hamling, probably not uh, for a long time, I guess. But yeah, I mean, look, look looking at some of the other games, you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I guess the ones that kind of went the way we expected were probably the Port-North game. Um, I thought North put up a great fight for a half and then Port's class just just took it over. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of from North and I think that's what we need to see from them. I want to see them get that that fight back in them. They looked like they'd lost it last year. I think we spoke about that in the podcast review on them, that they, they just didn't quite have that same... Uh, I mean, shin bonus spirit. Yeah, you said Say it. it. There you go, shin bonus spirit. Um, yeah, but you know what I mean. Like it's that. It's that they they didn't look like North Melbourne last year, and yep. you know LDU coming back will help. Um, you know that young midfield is is scary as well, and they've got a few nice young key position players as well. They probably need another key position back and key position forward. But um, <clears throat> yeah, they're certainly looking pretty good. The, the Suns and Eagles game as well. Obviously, terrible news to see Matt Rowe do his PCL. Um, I think it's been confirmed as a PCL now. So, Yeah. Um, but it was, that, was a, that was a fair game, though. Like The Suns, Suns looked like they were going to probably win it at the start of the fourth. Um, yeah. The Eagles just ended up running over the top of them. But, but it's just, it's experience. So, so I mean, this, yeah. and this is probably where we, I wanted to get with this episode was, you know, 
talking about the changes and and I but before we talk about changes actually I just want to quickly touch on a couple of things Swannies incredible ball movement beautiful play it was death by a thousand cuts for Brisbane and I loved it yep. it was just uh, like you know I think someone said they're going to become your second favorite team pretty quickly um, and I have no doubt about that the Swan the not again. I love it. Swans, the Swans was no, the Swans were everyone's favorite, second favorite team in like the two thousands and everything because they just work hard and get into grand finals. Well, it's like it's Bastards. like it's like watching Port Adelaide last year. Like top sides, that, I, I loved watching Port last year. Like yeah, yeah. they took it on, and then and if Sydney are going to play that way, which is very un John Longmire like, yeah, um, I'm all for it because that that that's great brand of footy the way they played. So I'm I'm pretty excited. They got a lot of. I think we wrote out their <laughs> their young stars list, and, and it's bloody scary when you sit back and look at it. Um, you know they've got is it Heaney, um, Golden, Campbell from the weekend, Florent, uh, Rowbottom, uh, Nick um, Blakey, Blakely, yeah, um, Mills, Mills, like um, McCartan as a back, yep. And then really up forward, they've back. they've um they got Logan McDonald who Logan was pretty good on the weekend, and yeah, I mean it just you go through and oh, look, we're missing players. We're trying to roll them off the top of our head. So I know we've got plenty of Swans fans out there who'll probably pick us up for it. But what what the point is is they've got a really young, and exciting team, um, and they beat Brisbane at, at Brisbane. So yeah, good win. Um, yeah, it's a great win. And and Do I you think that just in general. If you had the option of choosing who you lined up in round one, do you think that you would choose to play a hard team or an easy team? Oh, I always prefer harder team. Yeah, I think I'd always. Metal. I think in round one, I think I'd always prefer a harder team because if you lose, then you might have lost anyway during the year, even when you were playing your best. Um, and if you win, it's a great start to the year. Whereas for Geelong and Brisbane, it's like, damn, like this is a loss against a side that all of the people that will be competing for top four will get a win against. Yeah. Um, and it's just frustrating. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, I guess with the, the, the Giants and St Kilda, what a win for St Kilda that was just quietly. Um, what a, yeah. an injury list and everything. And I thought that was, I mean, look, the Giants didn't kick straight. They had more scoring shots and they didn't kick straight. But what a win for St Kilda. Like when it was there to yeah. be one, they won it. And yeah, lots to be excited about there at St Kilda. Um, especially like this week, I know they got my boys, but then they get big Maxi King back. Um, Brad Crouch, I think, is round three from his suspension. Sounds like Rowan Marshall isn't that far away. Hopefully Paddy Wright is back with them soon. Um, Dan Hannabury will come in for his customary five games. Um, you know, plenty there to be excited about. So I, I, I think, yeah. But just touching on the game overall on the weekend, and I watched yep. a fair bit of it, much to uh, my wife's <laughs> disdain. Um, <laughs> what were your, what was your opinion? I guess across the games, first of all, ball movement. Secondly, the rule changes and how they impacted, um, and then thirdly. Um, was football better than it was in 2019? Um, answering in reverse order because I don't have a great memory. Um, footy was not better than 2019. It was just different. Um, 
go to the first question now, which was to do with the impact of the new rules. That was the second question. It was ball movement. Second question. Okay. Well, second question, impact of the new rules um, and ball movement sort of tie into each other anyway, is that ball movement was a little bit more fluid than what I'm used to seeing. Um, And I don't think it resulted in more inside kicks, um, like corridor opening up the corridor um, from people corralling. I just think it changed the on the mark positioning. So one thing that I think that I thought the new rule will do and, and will probably continue to do until teams work it out is that they would occasionally just not stand someone on the mark. They would just roll that person back um, and, and stand no one on the mark. And what it allowed the person to do was mark the ball, turn on a dime to face the goals and go, no one's standing my mark and there's no one within 15 metres of me. I'm just going to run the ball 20 metres forward and launch it from here. So there was a lot of like slingshot play, um, just getting the ball from one end to the other as quickly as possible. Though I just think that um, the better teams worked it out relatively quickly and changed their defence and, and built a wall um, and it took Collingwood's defence the first quarter. I think it took Richmond's defence probably the first quarter as well to adjust to it at pace. Yeah. Um, but all of those better teams at defending adjusted. So ultimately, I think it's going to have not much of an impact. Um, I, I think that the only big one is just going to be the person who takes a mark's flexible number of options that they have on the mark. What they're going to... Like, They'll be presented with lots of different options, playing on, going inside, going outside. Yep. I think that shots on goal was interesting. I hated all the commentators talking about the extra meter, two meters that they were gaining every, every single time. I actually think there was less distance gained than regular because normally umpires don't call play on um, when someone goes off the line because the person on the mark is allowed to adjust their position so it's less noticeable, whereas... This time, because the person on the mark is standing completely still, it was very noticeable when someone would go off their line and umpires routinely called play on. They would stand someone directly behind and just call play on and it caused chaos when someone was called play on midway through their run-up a few times. What's what's Buddy going to do without his natural arc? I mean, nothing. Uh, <laughs> he'll, um, he'll probably take less of a run-up. So instead of t- doing like a full set shot routine, he'll go two steps backwards from the mark. So he's got a one, one and a half, two meter gap and then try to run past the person on the mark or take two steps and arc out before the play on is called. He's going to struggle, um, struggle to win a game after the siren. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a couple of people that caught call play on for shots at or after the siren in different quarters because for tracker, they weren't... For tracker in, against Fremantle? Yeah, they weren't, weren't, weren't running straight. Um, and look, I actually really like it. Yeah, I, um, I think it's great. I, I think that that's an awesome improvement. And the, the adjustment that players will make is that umpires allow you to take a worse angle, not a better angle, and go towards straight. So it's the same with taking a snap from the boundary line where you're allowed to go, here is the line from the goal line out to the position where I marked. I can make my angle worse but I have to kick it before I reach the line, like a snap. Um, And that's not considered play on. So if you were outside 15, you wanted to gain some extra length, you either come on on the inside early and assume that they're going to call play on, or you make your angle worse and run towards an actual natural straight position. 
yeah. um, where you where you shouldn't be called play on. So I'll be interested to see how it all plays out. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 fascinating. I thought overall, I thought the ball movement was uh, like I, I like the rules around play on now um, from from the goal square, like not having to kick it to yourself and and the mark being set back. I feel yeah. even though sides think they have rolled back the zone far enough. Teams that play on really quickly, the zones can't get set up. And I love that. I love that now the penalty for not kicking straight potentially is a goal in the other direction. I think that's that's a very good change for our game. Um, the In terms of the manning the mark um, and in the ball movement impacts, it was interesting to see that because the way the rule's written is that I think if you're five metres back of the mark, you can... You don't have to be yep. directly in line, so you can move back on the 45. Yep. And a lot of teams were doing that, which actually had the effect of forcing people down the boundary line. Yeah. So one of the adjustments I'm expecting to see is a bit of a return to Malthouse's down the boundary line play. And and yep. potentially sides are going to win that way. And and if you've got good enough kicks in your forward 50 and teams are going to keep giving you the boundary, um, moving forward is moving forward. Um, if you can get the ball close enough to goal, um, an, another opportunity may present. And that and that's effectively how I think teams have to start taking this. If teams are going to give you, they're going to stand five metres back on the mark to protect the inside kick, well, get the kick to the next location and then yep. maybe, maybe something opens up. And it's that keeping the ball moving forward at all times. It, it, it's just, I think that's a real positive. Um, overall, I don't think they had this, the, this massive effect that everyone was thinking. Um, the, the problem is, is we've got the hyper football from last year in our memories. Yeah. And and that that was, you know, players were able to push themselves to the absolute limit with shorter quarters um, and, and everything. And the ball movement was crazy and everything. So even if they hadn't have adjusted interchange caps, I think there would have been a lot of fatigue in this year anyway. The adjusting yeah. of interchange caps is just going to send, it's going to bring back the second Ruckman, I'm pretty sure. Or, or the forward ruck, um, they'll come back into the game after, <clears throat> you know, kind of being abolished by, you know, even a 90 interchange cap. Um, and I also think that it'll it'll promote, um, I guess, the the endurance kings. Um, so your Brad Hill, he looked excellent on the weekend. I think he's, he's going to be great. Um, the overall rules, you know, what did I think of them? I'm not sure. I, I just like a season where they don't touch the rules and see where the game evolves to. So hopefully that's this year. Yeah. I mean, what about them touching the rules like two days before the start of the season? Yeah. Is that um, it? I mean, what a, what a, I mean, look, when the media along with the commentators and, and the Twitter experts like us are sitting there saying this is going to get rorted and it took a grand total of half a game to get rorted. Um, yeah, but they reckon that they reckon that three of the players that came off um, are all going to be in contention for next round. And I could have told you that a corked knee, um, although um, the description from you is excruciatingly painful, um, is the you expect that they'll play the next week. Yeah, I mean, it's the expectation. It all depends on the grade of it. Yeah, so like I, I, had, a, I had a cork knee, which was right above my kneecap. And it was horrendously painful and it took me two weeks to get over it. But mine was so bad that I had like swelling through the knee. I had um, burst the sacs behind my knee 
um, as well. Mm, from, first tax, never good. Yeah, never good. <laughs> um, I still have fluid in it from from the incident. So, um, it, it yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends on severity. But a bruised knee in the moment, like, I'm not surprised when I heard he lost and say he couldn't walk upstairs. Like, that would be horrendous with a cork knee. But yep. if it was only a mild one, then absolutely he'll be back in time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> the fact it got rorted doesn't surprise us. And, I mean, it's up to the AFL if they want to accept it or not. Um yeah, exactly. If they want to force a force the rule to be, um, if the person comes off, then they're out for a mandatory one game. Yeah, yeah. Days. well, I think they just make it so if you sub someone, they're out for twelve days. Like, yeah, exactly the same as the concussion rule. Yeah, like just, then it's there, it's there for injuries. There were a couple of hamstrings and things yeah. like that, which people were totally replaceable. Yeah, um, completely legitimate ones. And if you are being precautionary with somebody then like they've got hamstring awareness or something like that, then taking them off and like subbing them actually might be the best thing for their health. Um, like as in go, okay, then this person, like they might not be, they might be able to get up for next week, but the right thing for them is to put them through a proper program to rehab this. Um, which means we should be doing a, maybe like a week, half a week off balls, um, and just doing some massage and strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, it, it, it all, it, that makes a lot more sense. Well, I guess we'll see that in the fullness of time. Did you have anything else um, before we wrap up? What was a long episode of this <laughs> new format, but there's it's the first round of the season. We had a lot to cover. Um, we also had to introduce the segment, but I wouldn't I wouldn't mind uh, even just very briefly touching on now because a lot of our listeners play Supercoach and we love yep. it. Maybe if we do a, a little segment at the end where we talk about Supercoach and. Um, I can talk about my pain from the weekend. I had danger and row. So, yeah, poor um, man. Two, two force changes right there. I'd um, say a lot of people would have, though, like 51% and 45%. Yeah, something around that. And I reckon, you know, a fair few of them had both. Um, I wasn't the only one in our leagues. Um, I had a terrible weekend because of a lot of this. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I've got two forced primo trade or semi premium trades. Um, which is unfortunate. Um, but just in terms of rookies is probably what I want to touch on. Um, what what to do with rookies? I mean, it's been a tough tough one for rookies. Uh, the guns and rookie strategy could be executed. I'm not sure how well it's going to be executed this year. Um, I mean, looking at the, the top rookies, there's uh, a group of three and then a gap and then kind of a couple in the 70s and then everyone else is in the 50s and 60s so there's really only like six rookies who are over a 60 average yeah yeah i don't think that there's many great rookie options and i think even the rookies that scored over 60 there's still concerns over there like jordan um his viability longer term um some of the players that we thought might be good um, turned out to be just average. So I think it's going to be a hard year yep. um, in general. Um, I'd say that probably half of my POD players um, went really well and the other half flopped completely. <laughs> um, so I'll have, I'll have a slight adjustment next week. But Fantasia um, kicked four, um, got 94. Sam Walsh got 122. Um, I think most of our league has Taranto, um, yeah. which is he had 107. But I also had Dugowie, who had 69. Um, 
I had Tyson who had maybe like 28 um, or 29. Um, so there was some stinky scores in there as well. So, Yeah, I guess, I mean, probably the advice to people out there is if you haven't got Gordon and Flynn and Rowe in your sides, go get them. Yeah. Um, trade them in this week. They will make you money, um, even if they don't average the same from here. Even if they get 250s, they will still get a significant price spike yep. in that first week. So, um, yeah, apart from that, I think it's, you know, um, I get Zach Williams back this week. I, I made the decision to, to start him on the pine um, because I thought it would save me a trade, and I'm glad I did because it means I've got him and I don't, and I've had two forced trades, so... That's awesome because I had that as my major plan um, and I changed it at the last moment and um, I'm going to reverse that now. Um, <laughs> so it'll, it'll cost me trades, but um, this week I'm fully intending to drop Tyson after one game um, and make the change of Dangerfield and turn them into Heaney and Zach Williams, who were two people that were staples in my side for most of the preseason. So That's not bad. That's not bad. That's- Let's see how that goes. I've got Tom Mitchell and Rory Sloan at this moment in time. Sloaney pony. Yeah, he looked good. He really impressed me. He's a good player. Yeah. Uh, I love Sloaney. So, um, but yeah, that's probably good in coming weeks to maybe touch on, I guess, some changes and around keeper leagues and stuff. Um, see if there's any gold popping up on the waiver wire. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been a pleasure to do this with you, mate. Um, a bit of a different format, talking about actual footy. Um, obviously, we'll revert to our list reviews in oh, what do we say? Probably about round eight or nine. Yep. So we've got a few more weeks of, of doing this, and then we'll we'll hook into some list reviews and and start to break down, I guess, the top sides that we we didn't review last year. Looking forward to it, mate. Um, and. Um, listeners, thanks again for, for joining us and uh, look forward to chatting with you all and connecting with you all on Twitter or in other ways soon. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. See ya. If you constantly worry that the worst is going to happen, you're not alone. One in four Australians will experience anxiety. Know when anxiety is talking. Visit Beyond Blue to start a life beyond anxiety.